And while you're turning there, let me announce to you that beginning next week, we're going to uh, begin a new uh, emphasis on Wednesday nights. Um, I, I want to ask you to be very patient with me over the next few weeks. As most of you know, I, I told you several weeks ago, I have decided that I'm going to finish my education. I'm in the last semester of my master's program, and I have about six weeks left to go. And over the next six weeks, I have a lot of research, a lot of papers, a lot of, eh, you don't want to hear about it, but it's a lot of work. It's seminary level work. It's, it's not like kindergarten, and, and it takes every, every ounce of energy that I have mentally to be able to grasp everything that I have to. So I'm, I'm going to call upon some of the very gifted people that we have in our church to come and to share with us on Wednesday nights. So beginning next week, we're going to start thinking about Thanksgiving and what it means to, to live a life of Thanksgiving and gratitude. And so someone will be speaking next week, and I'm waiting to announce that after I confirm it. Uh, the week after that, on the 9th, Brother Danny Morris is going to be speaking to us on that Wednesday night. And then on the 16th, Miss Dorothy Crosby is going to be speaking to us on that evening. And then, of course, the 23rd represents the week of Thanksgiving, and we won't have service that Wednesday night. We always take Thanksgiving off that Wednesday night so that you can spend time with your, your families. So for the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to come. You're going to be blessed by these speakers, and we'll have the opportunity to hear uh, what is on their heart and what it means to live a life of Thanksgiving. I think we need to hear it, don't you? Yeah. I tell you, in our world right now, there's not a whole lot of thanksgiving going on, it sounds like to me. Uh, but God has called us to be people of thanksgiving. So uh, be patient with me, pray for me, that the Lord will give me the mind that I need to have to be able to complete this. Because just remember, what comes to me will eventually make its way to you. And if I can catch the knowledge, you'll be blessed by it, because the Lord will enable me to be able to share it with you in a positive way. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse 1. It says, Send your bread upon the surface of the waters, for after many days you will find it. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen upon the earth. If the clouds are full... They will pour out rain on the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north. The place where the tree falls, there it will lie. One who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And at the evening, do not let your hand rest, because you don't know which will succeed, whether the one or the other, or if both of them will be equally good. Light is sweet. It is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. And indeed, if a man lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness, since they will be many. All that comes is futile. 
So rejoice, young man, while you are young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. And walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment or to judgment. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. Now let's look at verse 1. Very familiar passage of scripture in the King James. uh, It says, cast your bread upon the water. After many days it will return to you. I didn't know until I started studying this pretty in depth pretty much in depth is that this is an old mariner's saying in the in the days of uh, and in Israel in that area there were a lot of fishermen a lot of fishing boats and vessels and so what they would say oftentimes is as they were getting ready to go out on a voyage and to go fishing is they would say that they were going to cast their bread upon the water now there there are various thought processes that go with this number one is that they think that they may have been referring to the type of bait that they would be used in their fishing endeavor. How many of you know if you've done any fishing, you don't don't just drive your boat out in the water and then sit there and say, okay, fish, I'm ready for you to come bite my hook or ready to jump in the boat. You, You have to put something forward that will cause them to bite or cause them... Uh, they, didn't, they didn't actually use hooks, they used nets so they could gather the fish in an area and then throw the nets over them and catch many fish at one time rather than trying to catch them one at a time. So they would go out into the waters and they would cast their bread or their bait upon the waters and as the fish would begin to gather around that bread or around that bait then it presented an opportunity for them to capture the fish and then succeed and to be successful. When they, it, it also means that it talks about a process here of days. In other words, they didn't just go out and stay for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever and then come back. When they left, they would frequently leave for many days. And so they wouldn't know what kind of success they had. They wouldn't know what kind of... Uh, a prosperity that they might be having until they actually went out and did what needed to be done. And so they would cast the bread upon the water. They, they would put forth the bait that would attract the fish and bring prosperity into their lives. And so what Solomon here is saying is, is that we have to do the same thing. We have to learn how to cast the appropriate bait upon the waters of faith. So that we can believe God for the prosperity that we need. Too many Christians, I believe, just pray generically. It is, just bless me, Lord. I really don't care how you bless me, just bless me. Lord, just whatever you want for me, just I'm I'm willing to. Now that sounds, that sounds really holy, doesn't it? It sounds really righteous, doesn't it? But let me tell you something. If If I'm sick in my body... I'm not going to waste my time just saying, Lord, well, you know, if you want to heal me, okay. But if you don't, that's okay too. I just, I'm, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to access the scriptures that allow me to approach him and request healing for my body. I know in my mind that he has already provided healing for me. 
And so I have, therefore, the opportunity and the right as a child of God to come boldly, therefore, into the throne of grace that I might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So what I need at the moment is what I'm going to cast my bread for. It's what I'm going, it's the bait that I'm going to use. Now, I, you know, if you go catfishing, you're going to use a particular kind of bait. If you go, if you go bass fishing, you're, you're going to use a particular type of bait. If you're going to fish for crappie, you're going to use a particular kind of bait. And your success will usually be based upon the kind of bait that you use and the patience that you have to wait upon the harvest. And that's what he's saying here. Cast your bread out on the water. Why don't you give God an opportunity to bless you? Why don't you give God an opportunity to put something into your life that will take you from where you are to where he needs you to be and where you want to be? But you'll never, you'll never receive it if you don't cast your bread up on the water. And so then he moves on and he says uh, in verses 3 and 4, he says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place wherever that tree falls, there it shall lie. And he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Now, there are three separate thoughts here that are going on. The first one is this. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Now, what he's talking about here is the process of natural things. The process of natural things. If, if the clouds are saturated by, by, by a natural process, they are going to, when all of, of the weather conditions align themselves properly, they are going to rain that rain upon that they're going to release that water upon the earth. They won't hold it back. They're not going to say, well, I don't want to rain here on these people today. When the conditions are right, it's going to rain. When all of the barometric pressures come together, when all the humidity comes into line, when, when there's water in the clouds, when, when it all comes together to create that moment, then those clouds are going to produce the rain that they're holding. They're not going to hold it back. It's going to produce. And what he's saying is, is that when we live our lives in such a way that, that we are lining ourselves with the natural spiritual processes, then God is going to release into our life that which will bring about the necessary change. It may, it may not always be what we think it's going to be. It may not always identify itself in the way that we have identified it, but God knows what you need, and God knows what I need, and he is able to allow that. God is not withholding blessings from you just because. He is going to release into your life those things that are meant for your blessing and meant for your growth in the time that it is appropriate for you to receive it. He said, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Think about Jesus. You remember in Scripture where it talks about how that he emptied himself? He emptied himself 
so that he could take on this bodily form. He emptied himself of the divinity of, of, of the Father, of the Godhead, if you will. And he came and he walked and he lived among us. He took all of the sin upon the world and he, and, and he provided the sacrifice that was necessary so that we could all be free of our sin. He didn't hold that back from us. He's not willing that any should perish. He's not holding it back from anyone now. He's just waiting for you to come and to receive and position yourself so that he can pour out upon you the blessing of salvation that he has already uh, provided for you. So if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. I like this. If a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. Think about that. What's he talking about? He's talking about legacy. He's talking about when the tree has lived its life to the full and it is ready to die, it, it, it may fall to the south. It may fall to the north. It may fall to the east. It may fall to the west. Wherever it falls, though, that is its legacy. You can come in and move it all day long. But the legacy of that tree is, is that it sprouted, it grew, it sustained, but on, on the time of its death, it fell, and wherever it fell, therein it lies. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you have a whole lifetime to create your legacy. But when you die, you can't change your legacy. You can't come back and say, well, I don't like the way I did this. And I don't like the way I did that. And I don't like the way I lived here. And I don't like the way I lived there. And I don't like the way that I acted there. And I don't like the way I reacted there. And I don't like the way I... No, it's over. It's done. Finito. You can't come back and pick up your tree and put it somewhere else. Wherever the tree lies is where it will stay. But really what he's saying here is you only get one shot at this. Now, does that mean that we are to try to live mistake-free? No. None of us are going to be able to do that. We're constantly falling short of the glory of God because we are in this fallen world. We have to participate in this fallen world. But thank God there is grace. Amen? Amen. And thank God that we have the ability through the grace of Jesus Christ to improve our legacy and to leave a legacy in such a way that will point men and women to Christ. So we've got to be living now so that when our, when our stump falls over, that wherever it lands, people can say, you know, that individual, they lived a good godly life before the Lord and they impacted a lot of people. So, so that, you know, if a tree falls to the south or the north, wherever it falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about speculation. He's talking about overanalyzing situations. I tend to do that. I, 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 I like to gather information about this and that and whatever. I had a staff member one time a few years ago and I think I've told you this before, but he, he would always tell me, he'd say, Pastor, 
whenever you call me into the office and say, I'd like for you to do this, this, and this, he said, I never do it on the first time. He said, because I know that you're going to change your mind. He said, I know you will. He said, I have discovered that it usually takes about three instructions before I know that you're finally serious about it. And he said, so I kind of wait. And he said, because I know that you talk out loud and you analyze situations by talking about it and by, by uh, speaking about it. And he said, I've learned that. And see, so I can always tell when you're done gathering information and when you're ready to move on it. And I've learned that about you. But ha- have you ever overanalyzed a situation, over-speculated I'm not sure how this will work, and I'm not sure how this will look, and I'm not sure if this will happen or not, or I'm not sure about this, or I'm not sure about that. And so we analyze, we analyze, and we analyze, and we speculate, and we speculate, and we speculate, and we never do anything. And because we never actually put the seed in the ground, then we don't get a harvest. Because you will never get a harvest. Until you finally put the seed in the ground. You got to get the seed in the ground. Because a a guy, a, a, a theologian by the name of Meyer said this. I like this. He said, if we are always waiting for favorable conditions, we shall resemble the farmer who is ever looking for the perfect weather and lets the whole autumn pass without one handful of grain reaching the furrows. In other words, it's like a farmer looking out and saying, well, today's not the day. Today's not the day. Today's not the day. I've told you, when I first came uh, to Louisville, Kentucky, everybody told me, don't plant until the horses run. I didn't have a clue what they were talking about. I thought they were under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, you know. I, I finally learned, I finally discovered that you, you don't plant, and I know some of you are rebels and you do it anyway and all that kind of stuff. And I, I remember when I started years ago trying to garden a little bit, I had the neighbors next door and I've told you this too, she would say you got to plant the potatoes face down and her husband would come along and say, no, you have to, you have to plant the potatoes with the face up. And they'd go around and correct each other. And if she put the face down, he'd go around and turn them over the other way. And, and all, this would go on forever. And I, me, I just threw the tater down in the hole and, and covered it up and was good to go. But I found out that even that wasn't the proper way to do it. Because they said, after you get it covered, you have to step on it for good luck. If you don't do that, it won't grow. We had too many rules. Too much speculation. He's the one who told me I was gonna I was gonna put my my corn you know left and right down by the creek bank and said well, you can't plant your corn that way. Well, why not? And so well, you got to plant plant it this way in the rows. I said, but I want to plant it this way. Can't do it, Jack. Why? Is there a reason? He said, yeah. You can't do it that way. You got to do it this way. Tell me why. Because the last pastor planted his this way, and you got to do it the same way. That's the only reason that he could give me. What we're talking about is, is that people that are just being so speculative, and, and they analyze so much that they never get any seed into the ground. 
So what I'm trying to tell you tonight is, is that if you're going to move toward harvest, you better start getting some seed in the ground. Verse 5, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Now, let me just stop long enough to make a quick statement here. Again, Solomon is speaking with the wisdom and the knowledge that he has at that time. He can't speak with knowledge and revelation that we have in 2016 He only could speak based on what he knew in those days. And so for him to make a statement and say, you don't know what, what, you don't know how the bones of the baby are growing inside the womb of the woman. He couldn't say that today, could he? Because we have ultrasounds. We have all these machines where you, you can take pictures of the baby. You know whether or not the baby is healthy or not. You know whether or not the baby has, you know, two legs and two arms and ten fingers and ten toes and all that kind of thing. You can know in advance these days. But Solomon was speaking out of the revelation that he had at the time. And and here's the point I want to make about this. We're always constantly growing in knowledge and revelation. There are things that I know today I didn't know 20 years ago. I, you know, you, it, a good example of that is raising kids. I mean, have you ever looked at your kids and you thought, if I'd have done this different, or if I'd have raised them different here and there, well, maybe they wouldn't have turned out the way that they did. But you need to lighten up on yourself a little bit. Because I don't really know any parents that when they had their first child, they had it all figured out. They didn't have it all figured out. They may have thought they had it all figured out. But when that kid starts doing whatever it is that that kid's doing, they have the ability to rebel against your rules and do what they're going to do. So what I'm saying is, yeah, I can look back on it now and say, I wished I'd have done this different. I wished I'd have done that different. But would it have made a difference? I really don't know if it would have or if it would not have. So the only thing that I can do is do the best that I can do with the, with the, the knowledge and, and the wisdom that I have in my hands right now. And, and I'm going to make some decisions 10 years from now that I probably don't have the knowledge that I need to have yet. But when the time comes and I have to make the decision, I believe God will give me the wisdom and the knowledge and the revelation that I need at that moment. So so he's talking about this idea of of speculation. He says, verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, either this one or that one, or whether both alike will be good. What's he saying? Don't ever stop sowing. Because you don't know whether or not this seed is going to produce fruit, or this seed is going to produce fruit. You don't know because you can't see the end from the beginning. But God does see the end from the beginning. And you, did you ever go out and you plant a crop and, you, and all of a sudden it starts coming up and you, you, you get excited about it? And you think, man, I'm going to have a bumper crop this year. It's going to be good. And look at all that, all that coming up. And then some stupid bird comes by and gets in your garden and starts plucking it all up. 
and now it's gone. You know, it's, it's all gone. And that's he's saying, look, continue to sow because you don't know what this season is going to bring. You don't know when a drought is going to set in. You don't know when a flooding rain is going to flood out all of your crops. You don't know. So continue to sow so that when harvest time comes, you will be able to reap. And the same is true in the spirit. You know, I, I know people that they've actually told me before, I think I'm spiritual enough. I think I've got enough. I don't need all the rest of that. Man, I'm just happy to know that I'm not going to hell. If I can just know I'm not going to hell, I'm good to go. I've told Erlene this before. I've I've met some really odd people in in my life in in the 37 whatever years that we've been in ministry. And, 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 And I remember someone called me one day and they said, Pastor, I want you to pray for my child. What's up? Their their child was, you know, had been into drugs and different things like that and a lot of trouble and said, and so I I kind of felt like it was in that vein and 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 they said, uh, want you to pray, want you to pray for my child that they would die while they're saved. Said, just got them saved. They they just repented and cried and wept, and I'd rather them die right now. Than, than to have to live and maybe relapse into this. And I'm scratching my head thinking, I'm not sure how to handle this one. I didn't pray for the child to die. But, but here's the point I'm trying to make is, is that why, why would we even speculate on that? Why, why wouldn't we instead say, well, praise God. They got saved and now they have this whole life ahead of them that they can be blessed of God. And who knows but what God might use their testimony to, to touch the world and the people around them and in their life. And why would we want to just give up and just say, enough is enough. I've just had enough. I'm just done. I don't need any more. I got saved. That's good. I don't even need to be sanctified. Because I can just keep coming back and ask Jesus to forgive me. I know I'm going to sin anyway, so if I'm going to do it, why don't I just blow it out of the water? You know, because the scripture says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For he who sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap what? Corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap eternal life. So, you know, don't be speculating with God. He's a God of grace. I know he'll forgive me. You better watch it. Better watch that kind of mentality. You may never have the opportunity to repent. I used to hear that message all the time. Robbie, you're going to split hell wide open if you're not careful. <laughs> I got that sermon all the time. Verses 7 and 8. Truly the light is sweet, pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. I want you to switch, go over to chapter 12 with me now. 745. Oh, man, I got all kinds of time. I can do a lot. Chapter 12. Where am I in my notes? Are you there? Chapter 12? So remember, in fact, let's go to chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice, young man, while you are young. 
Let your heart be glad in the days of your youth and walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Stop now just long enough. All through the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has been saying, don't worry about the future. Don't worry about judgment. Just just let it all hang out, baby. Just live like you ain't never lived before because this is all there is. Life under the sun. And now in chapter 11, he's saying, you just go ahead and live however in the world you want to live. But you need to remember now that God is going to hold you responsible for everything that you do. So now this idea of salvation, this idea of forgiveness, this idea of eternal life is beginning to dawn on him and begin to hit him full on. That there has to be more than this. Life without Christ is meaningless. But with Christ... It takes on a brand new meaning. When we look at everything in light of eternity, then everything has meaning. So he's saying, young man, just do whatever you feel like doing. But you just remember that there will come a time when God will bring you to judgment. Verse uh, Chapter 12, verse 1. So remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of adversity come. And when the years approach, when you will say, I have no delight in them, before the sun and the light are darkened and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain, and when the day, when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, and the women who grind cease because there are few, and the ones who watch through the windows see dimly, the doors at the street are shut, While the sound of the mill fades, when one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint. Also, they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road and the almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper loses its spring and the caperberry has no effect. For man is headed to his eternal home and mourners will walk around in the street before the silver cord is snapped. And the golden bowl is broken, and the jar is shattered at the spring, and the wheel is broken into the well, and the dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. What's he talking about there? He's talking about eternity. He's talking about something that's going to happen after these days under the sun. But prior to that, he talks about getting old. Now, how many of you can relate to that? I want to I see if I can find this in my notes. Hold on just, just a minute. Because he describes... Okay, here it is. He describes in poetic language what it means to get old. See if you can relate to any of this. The scripture talks about the arms and the hand, or the, the keepers of the house tremble. The keepers of the house. What's he talking about? He's talking poetically about the arms and the hands that keep the body begin to tremble. In other words, you don't have the strength in your arms and your hands that you did at one time. What you were able to hold and keep and grasp 
you can't hold and keep and grasp with the same strength because you're getting older. It's like when my wife sometimes calls me into the kitchen and she'll hand me this jar and she'll say, open these. I can't open these. And she'd been, she'd been twisting and turning and twisting and me being, you know, this big, strong, buff, young, strong guy. Did I say strong twice? She hands me the jar of pickles and I get it in my hand and I start to turn and it, and I can't open it either. And there was a day when I, could, I used to get open the dumb jar. And now, you know, you, you try all the tricks of the trade. You run it under the hot water. You get you a butter knife and pry it on the side. You get one of those rubber mats and you, 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 you start trying to tell Why? I didn't need all that when I was 20, but I'm 57 now. And so my, my hands don't have the same grip that they once had. Then he says, and then there will come a time when the strong men bow down. What's he talking about? He's talking about the legs and the knees and the back beginning to sag. Man, I used to, I used to be able to stand six feet, four and a half inches tall. And I'm, I'm good to be breaking off six two now as I kind of stumble around. I, you, did, did you ever, I, that parsonage has too many steps in it. Did you ever find yourself saying, I want to sell my house and get something with no stinking steps in it? Because every time you start going up those steps, you know you're in bad shape when you used to be able to go up them like this and now you go up them like this. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He's saying there's a time when the legs and the knees will begin to sag. And then he talks about the grinders cease because they are few. What's he talking about? Teeth. Somebody said it. You're right. The older you get, the less teeth you're going to have. It'll fall out of your head. You won't be able to chew your snake anymore because they get more brittle. They get, they, they're, they're more pr- prone to, to, to cavities and things like that as you get older. That's the reason dentists are making thousands and thousands of dollars these days to make teeth that they can screw into your mouth. How many of you know that they can do that? That's right, they do. You just can't afford it. I can't afford it either. He said, the grinders cease because they are few. I remember with my dad when he got older. There certain things he couldn't eat anymore because he, he, couldn't, he couldn't get it chewed up. The same with my mom. You know, she just, <laughs> she, she'd eat anything that she could get her hands on, but there were a lot of times that she couldn't get it chewed up because her teeth we're, we're not as she got older. And then it talks about the windows growing dim. What's he talking about? Talking about the eyes. Then he says the sound of the grinding is low. What's he talking about? Talking about the ears. You listened to the Doobie Brothers too much when you were young. So now you can't hear anymore. Some of you don't even know who the Doobie Brothers are. I like this one. They, they rise up at the sound of a bird. You know, any, does anybody do that? I do. Any, any little noise, and I'm wide awake. You're talking about how that you, you don't rest like you once rested. You wake up early in the morning. You know, how many of you, when you were young, you had to be careful to make sure your alarm was set in order to get up the next day? Any, anybody? How many of you now, you don't have to set an alarm anymore? 
I mean, it's just, you just naturally wake up. That's, that, that's the way it happens. Your body gets used to it. It talks about the daughters of music are brought low. Singing and music are less appreciated. Why? Because it's irritating. <laughs> that's one of the biggest issues in churches across denominational lines, across country lines, is that turn the music down. And sing a different kind of music. Why? Because as we get older, our patience level is not what it once was. Now, when we were young, we could do the bebop, hip-hop, whatever in the world we wanted to do. But now that we're older, the younger music tends to irritate us. My wife went last week to Atlanta with my daughter, Erin uh, was training for her new position and all that. She wanted Donna to go. When they got back home on Friday night, it was late. As soon as she got out of the car, she looked over at me and she said, I'm so glad to get out of that car. <laughs> she said, man, when Erin gets in the car, it's like turn the music on and crank that baby up. <laughs> I've been listening to music since we left Atlanta. And she said, I just... You know, and, and it, it talks about that. And then, and then it says they're afraid of height and the terrors in the way. You, you tend to become more cautious in your old age. Talks about the almond tree blossoming. What do you think that is? The almond tree blossoming. You got it. What is it, Zane? Your hair turns white. So I don't care if it turns white as long as it doesn't turn loose, brother. The grasshopper is a bird, and he's telling you, what do grasshoppers do? They just jump around all the time. High energy, high energy. Jump, jump, jump. Run, run, run. Catch me if you can. And the older you get, the less active you become. And then he talks about desire fails. And he talks about the caperberry. Did you notice the caperberry? Do you know what a caperberry was? Anybody have an idea? Anybody want to guess? It was Viagra. It, it, was, it, was, it was their version of Viagra. The caperberry was supposed to make the man to have desire and ability. And what he's saying is that there comes a time in life, it doesn't matter how many caperberries that you eat, it's over, boys. Done. And <laughs> that's what he's saying here. It ain't working for you. And then there comes, and then after a while, it's like, I just don't have any desire to even try anymore, you know. That's what he's saying. And so there you go. All right, then all the way down to verses six and seven, it says, Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain. Jump down even further with me, if you will, now. Verse 9, in addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. And the teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like goads, and those from the masters of collections 
are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. And when it all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. What what he's saying here is, is that at the end of his life, he he reconsiders this idea that life is meaningless, that all is vanity. And most scholars believe that when he makes these last few statements, he's speaking from the vantage point of being an old man who has the, the opportunity to look back and he says, I've discovered at this point in my life, I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to think anybody think highly of me. The most important thing I can do is disseminate wisdom and knowledge. And for me as a pastor, I've just got to tell you, I'm at a point in my life, it is not about church growth for me anymore. There was a time when it was. There was a time I wanted to have the fastest growing church and the biggest church. But I don't, I, those kinds of things aren't in my mind anymore. What matters to me most is that every opportunity that I have to live my life as an example to others and to speak words that will encourage others and bring truth that they can take hold of and see change take place in their lives. That's what I want. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I've discovered here, I've discovered that this thing about God and the afterlife and eternity, it's real. And we're all going to face it. And the most important thing that I can do is to encourage others that you have the power of Jesus Christ to be able to overcome and to live your life in such a way that one day you will stand before God and you will realize that everything you did in this life really did matter after all. And that's the conclusion of the matter. And that's what he's saying.